Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Huntback Country Podcast. These are our shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, happy Monday. How you doing, man? Doing good. Yeah, doing good. Good weekend, just kind of low-key with a family. and um, Yeah, fantastic. Got some multiple kind of training uh, hikes and bike rides and strength stuff in over the weekend getting death hikes officially six weeks well yeah six Not weeks minus two days think. now yeah, yeah. crazy uh, so things are things are looking good yeah it's coming quick we have a uh kind of a group chat thing going we're using the, a group me app with a bunch of the guys coming on the death hike so folks have been posting some of their training talking some trash sharing some yeah. encouragement <laughs> kind of all the above it's been fun yeah that was a good idea to put this put that together just to motive you know keep tabs like if no one's posting like hey you're actually working out you're getting ready for this or uh, also vice versa motivation like damn it so-and-so did you know got 20 miles in yesterday i need to I get off the couch yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i haven't counted by any means like uh so i'm not saying this like on hard data but i feel like just in conversations over the last month or two, and by conversations, I'm including emails into this. There's more and more people, listeners, doing a death hike this year, which I'm super pumped about. Because, you know, when, and awesome. we've always encouraged people to do it. And we'll hear from, I don't know, two, three guys a year that we'll actually hear from and say, hey, I did this. Sometimes we hear from a guy and he says he's going to and we never hear from again or I lose track or whatever. But... I will say, I feel like there's some momentum out there among podcast listeners, just people who follow EXO, guys making plans. So I say all that to say, one, do it. If you're on the fence, do it. Grab some buddies, even do it solo if you have to. Find something in your area and put together some sort of death hike. But two, if you do it, and whether it's a great success or a great failure, be sure to let us know. We'd love to hear about it. One thing we've done in the past, Steve, after our death hikes is get participants on and do, you know, kind of shorter segments with guys about their death hike experience and put them into an episode. It'd be fun to do that with listeners. Maybe we don't have, mm. you know, if we have six yeah. guys, maybe we don't have a full conversation, you know, hour long with each six, but maybe we do like a 15 minute recap debrief and then do like a listener death, death hike episode. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of the podcast, just some quick kind of changes. Um, one thing we used to kind of advertise slash link to was Google podcasts. And that was primarily for folks who are on, uh, Android phones and didn't use like Apple podcasts, which is very popular for iPhone users. Um, Google podcasts is either dead now or dying. They have let us know that it's going away. Uh, if you use that app, I'm probably sure you're aware that that's gone away um it doesn't really change our podcast availability there's so many different places to find our podcast essentially any podcast app just search huntback country but as i mentioned apple podcast is super popular um spotify is a great one and there's a lot of growth there and then there's you know stitcher and a whole bunch of others and then also changes youtube introduced kind of a podcast feature um a more dedicated podcast feature and don't get too excited if you heard youtube and think we're going to do video because we're not 
Um, but you can get the audio only podcast and also subscribe in YouTube. And there's actually more and more people doing that. So ours is being imported to YouTube as we speak. It isn't ready yet, but should be by next week, fully available in YouTube as well. Again, audio only, um, but we'll have all of the back catalog and everything else. So just a couple changes in that regard. And then speaking of YouTube, uh, we've, we've mentioned before that we're going to do more from an EXO standpoint and more content, how-to stuff, etc. Really almost an expansion of the podcast in a way into some more video content. Uh, and that is still coming. Steve and I have been chatting about that a lot and it is in the works and it's gonna be really cool, Steve. Yeah. I'm, it's, I was starting to obviously just been like writing down notes for the last couple of months as ideas pop into my head and you and I talk back and forth. And then last week really sat down at my desk, put my headphones on and just kind of zoned in and just started writing out all the, all the content we want to do. And really at the end of it, it came to like, it's going to be an extension of this podcast. It's everything we've talked about over the last, how many years have we been doing this? Seven years, eight years of doing the podcast. On nine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but just all of that information condensed, you know, revisited and condensed into video format that'll, um, we're just going to go through everything, gear, training, nutrition, you know, how to's planning an Alaska hunt, uh, and then, and then go do the three hunts this fall up in Alaska and video it all and try to make that like fun, entertaining, educational all at the same time. Right. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, the more the more ideas. I mean, there's more ideas of cool content, valuable content that we can do um, than there is time. So it's going to be a fun project to tackle. Yeah, one thing that we've had to do is rein in. We want to do more than we can can do uh, in this time frame. So that's been one of our conversations. Is like maybe this becomes a new normal or like a multi year project, but. Um, we're certainly open to suggestions, but we're looking at the practicalities of uh, how much time there is. And there's going to be certain things we purposely don't cover yet, but plan to cover in the future. Um, but stay tuned. There's a lot more and a lot of that will be cohesive with the podcast. So there's going to be, oh, to pick an example, like say we do a stove review again, that's something we've done years and years ago at this point and, and talked about in the podcast. There's going to be a video component to that that's going to show more of the stove testing um, to show the true results of the testing with footage. And then there would secondarily be also a podcast that would go probably even more in depth. So Envision, you know, some of these videos may end up being six minutes to 15 minutes, but then we'll still have a, a very in-depth podcast that goes with that. And then even though there's separate formats of like, hey, here's a video, here's a podcast, we're also going to have a great kind of central hub of all this content on the website. So a lot more to come. We still have a lot of work to do, but it is coming. Uh, we're making progress and it's going to be really cool. So to get into questions for today, Steve, we had one come through. I'll just go ahead and read it. He said, I'm a resident of Idaho, but I'm originally from out east and grew up hunting whitetails with my father out east. I'm getting back into hunting, but wanted to get some thoughts on species focus. As a newer Western hunter, I would like to be able to go out and hunt elk and mule deer, 
but I'm wondering if I would be better off just focusing on one of those species at a time until I can become consistent with finding and harvesting one species before moving on to hunt the next species. There's so much to learn about each species that can almost be overwhelming at times with information overload. It's a dream of mine to harvest an elk, but at the same time, maybe a mule deer would be a better start. I've never packed out an animal, so a mule deer seems like a good start from that perspective. Anyway, as a newbie hunter out west, do you think it's better to focus on a single animal until you get proficient, or just go for both elk and mule deer right away? The eventual goal is to hunt them both every year with consistent success. So Steve, this was totally separate from a couple weeks ago we talked about on a Monday Minute, a brand new hunter, completely new to hunting, who lived out east and wanted to hunt out west. This is a guy who has previous hunting experience, but it was out east, and now he's a resident out west and wants to start western hunting. And the same topic of information overload came up for both of these guys. And uh, prior in that previous podcast with a different guy who wrote in, you know, part of our uh, suggestion to him was like, hey, focus on one thing, ignore everything else, build up some skills, knowledge, proficiency, and then move on. But he had a different context. He's a brand, brand new hunter, had no hunting experience. He wanted to hunt out west, but he lived out of state, etc. So this guy is a little bit different. He has some hunting experience, but he's new to Western hunting and he's an in-state resident hunter in Idaho with a lot of opportunity. So I think that changes things quite a bit. We could tackle a lot in here, but I'm curious, like where does your head go initially, Steve, for this guy today? Um, well, my initial reaction would be as an Idaho resident, there's Apple ample opportunity to, to hunt both and do it easily. And, um, but then it's like, Oh, then I had to ask the question, how much time does this guy have, right? Does he got a family, full-time job, only gets, you know, three or four days a year to take off to dedicate towards hunting? Then, then yeah, you absolutely need to pick one. So it would just depend on his, you know, how much time does he have? I mean, let's assume he's married with kids and doesn't have a lot of time off. Yeah, pick one. Man, that's a tough, I think elk, elk in Idaho is going to be generally an easier animal to hunt, easier to find success. Just they're they're bigger. Seems to be. I don't know if there's probably not more of them, but it sure feels like it at times, right? Yeah. Uh, when well, we're out there the vocal aspect, sometimes it's easier to locate yeah. them just based on that. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, you throw in the is he solo and he's figuring this out by himself, and he kills his first elk and uh, cutting up an elk the first time by yourself and packing it out. That's a that's a task, man. That's that's nothing. Uh, no small feat. So that it's like just in that regards alone, I don't know, maybe you go back to mule deer. Um, I would probably say just go for elk and wing it on the pack out part because <laughs> you, you know find better success. I think hunting elk and figuring that out. Yeah, but in in general, yeah, it's it's a great idea to to be specialized. Obviously, he's saying his end goal is to be, you know, a well-rounded hunter, and that's something that that I've personally chose to do. Right, like I wasn't, I don't was never a species specific got plenty of friends who are diehard elk guys plenty of friends who are diehard mule deer guys i was always as we've talked about all the time just loving getting back there experiencing backpacking and whatever animal it was to hunt great and i liked being a 
um, Swiss army knife, right. Of, of hunting, right. <laughs> like be able to go hunt bears effectively and antelope and mule deer and elk and, uh, you know, caribou and moose and just, you know, every species I can, uh, can hunt. Um, I want to be, I think it's better in my mind, it was better to have a, a wide range of wide set of hunting skills, um, versus being very species specific, but I, there's not nothing wrong with either way. So as a, and I'm thinking out loud slash asking a question to you, Steve, mm-hmm. refresh me as an Idaho resident, obviously he can get an, an elk tag and a deer tag, but generally he, he doesn't have to get those in separate seasons. I guess where my head is going is like, Hey, you could dedicate September to one species, like get an archery elk tag and then October get a general deer tag. And that would be rifle. Mm-hmm. So maybe he has a priority per month. Like maybe he does have a a little bit more time and he can take out a chunk of time each of those months. That would be an approach. Is it also possible to have both of those ta- both of those species, elk and deer, fall in the same season or same weapon? Like yeah. both would be archery or both would be rifle, right? Yeah, absolutely. Plenty of areas you can have a mule deer tag and an elk tag in your pocket and be out there rifle hunting. Yeah. So that's one thing that that came up in my mind to consider is like, hey, do you want to spread out your time over two months, two seasons, two weapons? Or do you want to choose to have both tags, but have some overlapping opportunity? Meaning there'd be, hey, I'm out here with a rifle in October. Some of these season dates between deer and elk do overlap. Maybe I have an opportunity harvest on either species because I have both tags in my pocket and they're valid at the same time and in the same place, which isn't always the case, but could cross over, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is like, I I somewhat would think of this as pick your priority and do most of your preseason preparation directly because of that priority. So, wait, so whether it's elk or mule deer, right? You're going to spend most of your time, effort, energy prior to hunting season doing scouting, e-scouting, watching videos, listening to podcasts, doing research, understanding terrain and habitat and behavior and all that stuff like would focus on your priority. But then when you're out there in the field, whether you do or don't have a tag for that other species, have a broader vision to learn and say, hey, I'm out here elk hunting right now. Elk hunting has been my priority. That's where I've spent the last, you know, five months preparing and doing all my efforts towards was this elk hunt. But while I'm out here, I can still be learning about mule deer. I could observe them potentially. I could see where they're hanging out and understand them. So, yeah, I think it's just a unique opportunity for this guy to to have both and to be a resident hunter and hopefully get more time in the field, whether that's before season, during season, etc., and at the end of the day, I think information overload is real. You do have to prioritize your time and energy. So maybe have a priority, but don't disregard the other because there's so much opportunity for both. Yeah. It's a good spot to be in. It's definitely a much different spot than the guy a couple weeks ago who was, you know, brand new to all of this and was out east and uh, just had a lot more limitations. Yeah, maybe worthwhile reaching back out to that guy and get some more specifics and we could dive into it further. Yeah, it'd be cool. All right. Um, and not at all 
controversial question came up about six five Creedmoor again. And actually, <laughs> since I put this on the list, I prepared for this Monday minute last Friday and uh, put these things down. We had another email that came through with even more questions about six five Creedmoor. But I'm gonna stick to this initial one because I had some again very specifics that I think are worth addressing, and that made it a good question. So this guy wrote in and said, I know this question has been beaten to death online, but I'm having a hard time sifting through all of that online chatter. I have a 6.5 Creedmoor, and I am wondering if I should look into a different round for elk. He says, I grew up shooting a 243, so the 6.5 Creedmoor has been an easy transition for me to shoot well, but I have fairly limited hunting experience, especially no elk. He said, if I was going to use the 6.5 Creedmoor on elk, I would be using the Barnes 127 grain Vortex LR and only take broadside shots under 250 yards. So again, very specific, Creedmoor, this bullet, this shot presentation, this distance, which is helpful. He went on to say, I know Steve uses 6.5 Creedmoor, so I was curious if he would use uh, if he would use a 6.5 Creedmoor in this way, or if I'm limiting myself by not using a different round. I like the idea of a 7PRC, but I'd hate to invest in a new rifle and cartridge only to find out that the on-paper benefits don't benefit the specific situations I find myself in, or that I would not be able to shoot that as well. Can you help me make up my mind, and if I can take an ethical shot on an elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor? Steve, I mean, as you've said before, you, you point your creed more at things and, and they've died. Things so die. It's kind of worked out. Um, I think part of the, I think there's two things just to hit really quick. When the 6.5 Creedmoor was gaining in popularity, it was marketed uh, intentionally or unintentionally as a long range cartridge. And there was a lot of chatter about like, you can shoot this at a thousand rounds, et cetera. But people people not understanding nuance or context they were talking about ballistic performance bcs etc targets not necessarily hunting so uh do i think 6.5 creedmoor is a great long-range hunting cartridge no i don't think that most reasonably people would so that's one and then two i think because it's gotten or had gotten popular there's just like the natural backlash against it so i think it's cool to hate on the 6.5 creedmoor uh, which is why there's a lot of memes and online chatter and kind of like a the pendulum swung of people talking about being long range, which it wasn't. Now the pendulum has swung back of people saying it's incapable, which uh, it isn't either. So all that said to say, Steve, uh, your experience and maybe speak specifically to the scenarios he mentioned, because again, that's what makes this question helpful. Yeah, this is... Uh... Ironically enough, this is one of the topics I really want to cover in, in our content project. And I'm seriously considering going down to a six Creedmoor and just shooting everything, uh, mountain goat, moose, caribou, elk in Idaho, mule deer in Idaho with it, just to prove a point that with the right bullet selection and shot placement, you're going to kill anything you point that at. Um, that's my personal opinion. <laughs> um you know, like I've never understood, I've always struggled with, a, oh, you need a big caliber. Like, you know, the, the way you see it phrased online is like a, uh, a 6.5 Creedmoor bullet is literally going to not even break the flesh of an elk and just bounce off and hit the ground, right? Um, I mean, it's just asinine logic. 
that like, oh, six five can't kill an elk. They're just gonna walk away. Now, coming from you know, fifteen twenty years of archery hunting, like you put a hole in the lungs, liver, heart of an animal, it may go ten yards, a hundred yards, six hundred yards. It's gonna die. Uh, so I think it's sometimes it's lacking in like I think people. <laughs> You know, they, they essentially they want the rifle, they want to shoot it and then just have it drop dead right there, um, which is fine. That's that's great. Um, but it, just because it's like, you know, the animal takes the bullet and walks 50 yards and then dies, does that mean that the rifle, the, the round's not capable of killing the elk? Absolutely not. Um, to me, that's like worst case scenario. You don't get that kind of initial like impact shock that maybe a bigger, heavier bullet would get, but the animal's still going to die. Um, and the upside of, uh, to me, the the major upside is, I would say, 95 out of 100 guys, the lighter in caliber you go, the smaller in bullet, the more accurate you're going to be consistently, right? I don't, there's, I don't think there's anybody out there who's going to argue that you're going to shoot, you know, uh, over the course of time, say 100 shots, you're going to shoot a Creedmoor way better than you are a 300 win. Like, no one's going to argue that fact. And so what's more important... Um, making very accurate shots with a lighter bullet or uh, making less accurate shots with a heavier bullet. That's kind of like a really simplistic way I, I see looking at the the whole picture. And I'm always for like shot placement is going to kill anything, everything you pointed at. Um, specifically to what he said, that Barnes 127 RX, fantastic bullet. I've the first Creedmoor I built, I had that ran it for four or five years. I killed a pile of animals with it. That gun got, passed around quite a bit and a lot of other, a lot of people killed animals with it mountain goats deer elk bears um it's a fantastic performing bullet he can absolutely 250 yards is uh, a chip shot for that thing i would say you could go out to 400 500 pretty easily um it's it's a, a really good bullet it's going to penetrate really well kind of hold together um so yeah no no issues or questions there at all from my perspective um yeah and inter- interesting enough like i you type in um because i've been doing this like six creedmoor for elk and there'll be like a uh, rock side will pop up and there'll be thread you know posts upon posts of guys piling up elk with six creedmoor and like 105 grain bullets um it's actually surprising you know? you'd think there'd be a lot of people chiming in like oh that's blah 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 um but uh uh, really there's not like it's it's been pretty interesting to see so but again going back to the content project i want to get some experts on and, and talk through like what what am i missing or am i not missing anything when when you look at this kind of big picture and i think i think it's just a human nature to like bigger is better and and maybe in in the past with how bullets were constructed and designed that uh you know you did need those heavier bullets right uh to kill something but i think things have come a long ways and certainly a well-constructed bullet is gonna gonna kill so i know i've joked like plenty of times where because i shoot a, a badlands precision 125 grain it's called a super bulldozer bullet and it's like i've had so many animals just shoot drop down right there and it's like oh man if that if that was 124 grains that bullet would have just bounced right off you know they um in a very sarcastic way it's it's uh yeah it was just barely enough like 
but you go look at uh, up in Alaska and type in like 243 moose and like thousands upon thousands of moose have been killed up in Alaska with the 243, right? Like that's like a go-to cartridge up there. Um, so it's just like we get, I don't know, we get caught up in our own world of bigger is better. And I just think it's all silly. That that being said, if you want to, if you're someone who wants to kill animals at 800, 1,000 yards, then, then sure, those calibers start getting small. But I'm also very much in the camp that 99.9999% of guys should never be shooting past, I don't know, 600 yards. Like, I don't, I've just, the little bit that I've been shooting the last handful of years, been around other people, like gauging wind and, and stuff in the mountains, um, your, your border, borderline, you know, really pushing things. If you're like, Oh, I'm just dialed 800 and shoot. Like it's, uh, that's not an easy shot to execute. I, that point, I like, I like that a smaller cartridge flash caliber gives you ballistic limitations versus allowing you to think, Oh, yeah. this, this big Magnum is terminally capable at 800 because that leaves that door open to take that shot when in all reality probably shouldn't be taking that shot. And so if you, if you have a different cartridge and you know, like, Hey, this is, you know, safely kind of terminal capable out to whether it's four or five, six, et cetera. And then you pair that with, and I've practiced these ranges and I know my rifle and I'm effective, et cetera. Then your personal limitations kind of match the, the best practices and capabilities of the cartridge. Whereas if you're out there shooting a whatever 300 ultra mag that it's like, Oh, 900, this thing can kill. It's like, yeah, it can, but can you, can you yeah. really, like <laughs> you think you can, <laughs> or maybe you are tempted to try in the moment, but if you're shooting something else that you just really don't have the confidence that it's terminally capable at that distance, that is a, almost like a self-imposed limit that, uh, I think is healthy in a lot of ways. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah the okay. one thing with the Creedmoor too is like, I don't know if this is just online chatter, memes, whatever, but people don't say the same thing about the 6.5 PRC, really. I mean, I'm sure someone right. does, but not in the great volume. And it's like, at the end of the day, an elk that's hit with a, specifically in this case, a Barnes 127 grain LRX at a certain velocity has no idea if it came from a Creedmoor or a PRC. It does not matter. What matters is this bullet at this velocity making impact. Yeah. And so very few people would question, say, the PRC at 350, when in reality, that's the exact same thing as what this guy said he wanted to do with the Creedmoor at 250. The only difference is some speed. It's the same bullet. And yes, the PRC buys you some extra distance because you're carrying that speed further out. But that speed isn't dramatically different necessarily. And so if you have self-imposed limits on distance, the difference between Creedmoor and PRC really does not matter, period. Um, within your distances of, you know, within your limitations of distance, I should say. So, yeah, I would think just in general, it doesn't matter if it's a Creedmoor or a PRC or whatever. Like, think less about the cartridge or more about hey, what does this bullet do at this speed? And then at what distance can I maintain this bullet at this speed based on muzzle velocity? And that kind of 
works yourself backwards to choosing a cartridge, um, which we've talked about before. I think actually one of the podcasts we did with Hornady, I just thought of this, was kind of on that whole concept of like working your way backwards and understanding ballistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll leave a, a link to that one because that'd probably be it's pretty relevant yeah. to this conversation for sure. So Yeah. But yeah, I, that's one of the, I mentioned there's one of the topics that I, we we're debating with this content project to do archery and bow. And I think I, uh, or sorry, archery and rifle. And uh, it's like, I think I'd just pick rifle and really, really dive into it. And then if this goes, goes well, which highly likely it will next year, we'll, we'll do the same thing, but we'll do it with archery. Um, but I'm really excited to get guys from Hornady and guys that, you know, get somebody who goes to Africa and they kill, you know, hundreds of animals a year, right? Get a lot of different ex quote unquote expert opinions on this subject and dive into it. And then really at the end of the day, like pick something and go hunt with it and then post the results. Well, guys, if you heard any of that and you have questions or a totally different topic, whether it's a suggestion for a future podcast or maybe for this content project we talked about, as always, you can reach us easily. Just send an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Or if it is a question for the podcast directly, you can also look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message and you can ask us an audio message uh, from whatever device you're using. And stay tuned. Um, Again, as we said, a lot more to come. If you maybe are a podcast subscriber but haven't subscribed on YouTube, uh, go ahead over there. I'll leave a link to that in the show description. Just hit subscribe. You'll make sure that you receive future episodes. And then uh, as well, if you don't get our emails, a lot of this will be shared there as well. And a lot of times we'll share something in an email that doesn't hit the podcast or hit YouTube. So I just recommend hitting those as well. You can do that by going to exomountgear.com forward slash newsletter. Or again, we'll leave a link to that as well in the show description. But thanks as always for tuning in. Appreciate your support and we'll talk to you soon.